Welcome back to the Community Online Podcast. This week, we're joined by lead pastor Dave Ferguson as we kick off the series, What Do Christians Really Believe? Remember, you can always find us on Sundays streaming live at communityonline.tv. We hope to see you there. Once upon a time. And as soon as I say those words, you know what's coming, right? Yeah, a story. And I don't know about you, but when I hear those words, once upon a time, it just kind of makes me feel good. Because I love hearing a good story. And I love telling good stories. Once upon a time. It, it almost kind of transports me back in time when my kids were little. I can remember tucking them in at night, and I'd actually climb right into bed next to them and snuggle with them. And then I'd tell them stories. Stories about the adventures of Waimei and Asaj and Bellic. It took them a few years to figure out that Waimei, Asaj, and Bellic was just Amy, Joshua, and Caleb spelled backwards. <laughs> but I love telling them stories. And I love hearing good stories. And so today, we begin by telling an exceptionally good story. And I love this story. First, because it's a true story. But mostly because it's a story that explains everything. You see, what we believe as Christians and as a church community It's not merely a series of propositions, facts, and beliefs that we kind of confirm or recite back like a creed. What we believe is actually a story. We believe that this is one continuous story from the beginning all the way to the end. And this is the greatest story of all time. It's the story of a king and his kingdom community. Now, for some of you, as soon as I said, once upon a time, and then added it's a true story, you are already, you already are all in. You are leaning in. Because <laughs> I know what it's like. When I go to the movies, and if it starts with a true story, or even if it says based on a true story, I'm like, bring it on. I, I'm like a, a sucker for a true story. Now, others of you, you're wired a little different than me, and you're more like, how do I know this is a true story? What makes this an exceptionally good story? And, and how, how can a story explain everything? And that's fair. All fair questions. In fact, I would say more fair now than ever. Because every day we are bombarded with stories and information that are simply not true. Totally false. In fact, did you know that over 40% of internet traffic is actually not people? It's bots and computers. And much of it distributing misinformation. And I heard a crazy story this week about how much disinformation's out there. This goes back a couple years ago. There was a rally, okay, and then a counter-rally in the streets of Houston that resulted in a riot breaking out between these two rival political groups. One was a group called Stop the Islamization of Texas, and the other was a Muslim group. And they came to oppose each other, two polar opposite groups, kind of culturally and politically. They both held rallies against each other on opposite sides of the street. And then when someone threatened, let's blow this whole thing up, the police were called in to make sure it didn't get totally out of hand. Now, here's the backstory and what's crazy. It was found out later on that the whole thing was organized by Russians on Facebook. And I'm not making this up. Go ahead and just Google it for yourself. It was actually Russians who started both these groups on social media, not Muslim people or anti-Muslim people. It was a third party who told lies about both other groups, then recruited followers for both groups, 
then coaxed both groups to this rally at the same time, at the same place, on purpose. And why? To spread lies, to create division. And it sounds crazy, but totally true. So here's the deal. Now more than ever, I think we find ourselves rightly asking, how do I know what's true? How do I know what's false? How do you know what to believe? And they're all fair questions. And, and so to answer those questions, we are starting a brand new eight-week series. And I'll tell you, I am so, so excited about it. This series will help you understand what we believe as a church based on this truth source and how those beliefs can and should impact our everyday lives. Now, when our teaching team got together and designed this series, we intentionally designed the series with a few different groups of people in mind. The first group we had in mind was, we, we called it the seeking. And this is those of you who are trying to really figure out for yourself, what do I believe? This series is designed for you to help you understand what Christians believe. And then you can decide for yourself whether or not it's true. There was another group we were thinking about too called, I'd call it the growing. And this is those of you who have a faith, but you really want to understand more about your beliefs. I'm telling you, this series is for you. Because by the end of this series, you're going to have a deeper theological and scriptural understanding behind your beliefs. Then there's the confident group. And this group refers to those of you who feel, you feel certain about your Christian beliefs. Well, here's how you're going to benefit from this series. We're going to challenge you to re-examine and in some cases realign what you believe with the truths that we find in this book, the Scriptures. And then the fourth, the fourth and final group that we're thinking of was uh, the skeptic. If you're in this group, you're my favorite to speak to. Don't tell the others. You have most likely rejected some or maybe all Christian beliefs. You might be deconstructing your faith from an intellectual standpoint, or maybe you've had a really bad experience with a church or a bad experience with people who call themselves Christians. Now, if that's you, this series will help you make sure you truly understand what you're rejecting and not some kind of faux version of Christianity or something a Russian bot put out there, all right? So if you fall into one or more of those four groups, this series is specifically designed for you. All right, so you ready? Here we go. So let's start at the beginning. And here's what I would like. I would like for all of you, whether you're at a community location, a 3C community, uh, one of our community freedom, or community online, I want you to say this with me. You see it on the screen there. On the count of three, we're all going to say this together out loud. All right, here we go. One, two, three. Once upon a time. That still feels good, doesn't it? Now, to understand our story, we have to start at the very beginning. The very first sentence in the very first chapter of this book, it says, in the beginning, God. So before there was anything, there was someone. And that someone is the main character in our story. And that main character is God. Now, let me ask you, how do you picture God? How do you picture God? And if you're joining me through Community Online, I'd love for you to put a few words that describe God in the chat right now. If you're joining us at a community location, 3C Community or Community Freedom, find somebody near you and give them just a quick thought. How would you describe God? Because I want to pause here and I want to give you just a moment to really think about this. How do you picture our main character in the story? Who do you think God is? What comes to mind? 
Go ahead, put something in the chat or tell a neighbor. I'm gonna just pause. I want you to, to, to think about that and uh, deal with that. All right, you can still put stuff in the chat. You can still talk to each other, but I wanna, I wanna share this with you. It was the brilliant thinker and actually Chicagoan, A.W. Tozer, who said this, what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So again, how do you picture God? Who do you think God is? What comes to your mind? Now, I know for some of us, um, and I think sometimes I fall into this first category, I sometimes think God is like a cosmic cop, that there are laws and rules that have to be obeyed, and if we decide not to follow those laws, that cosmic cop, he's there to bust you. You know, if you did the crime, you got to pay the time. <laughs> well, this view of God is, it's not really fair really to police because they're actually there to help us. But this is a view of God that's primarily focused on catching us doing something wrong. And sometimes I find myself thinking like that about God. Now, others see God more like a jolly grandpa. We see God as this gentle old soul who's constantly saying, hey, whatever you want, Sure, you go ahead, sweetheart. Of course, that's fine. If that makes you happy, it makes me happy, regardless if it's hurtful or helpful. And I think in some ways, this view of God, which some of us hold, is really only a reflection of what we want. Still others see God as kind of a genie in the bottle God. This is a view of God that we go to only when we want something or need something. And he's there to grant our every wish. So when we pray, we explain to him what we need. And so we rub the bottle and we expect to make our wishes poof, come true like a magical genie. So again, let me ask you, how do you picture God? Who do you think God is? What comes to mind? Because this is so, so important. Because see, God is the main character in the story that explains everything. All right, so how does the Bible describe God? Well, in 1 John 4, 8, it says, God is love. Now notice, it does not say God is loving. It also does not say that God demonstrates love. It actually says something fundamentally different. I want you to really wrestle with this. It says God is love. Now to understand what God is love means, we need to understand something about the main character of our story, and it's this. The main character of our story, he exists as the Trinity. All right, so let's take two minutes to explain the Trinity. No, <laughs> it would take more like two years of graduate school at Princeton. Uh, the Trinity is a really hard concept to fully explain. In fact, the great legendary John Wesley, he said this about the Trinity. Check this out. He said, bring me a worm that can comprehend a man. Then I'll show you a man that can comprehend the triune God. So, Keeping it real, what I'm about to say will not, it will not completely explain the Trinity, but I wanna give it a shot, all right? Here we go. I think maybe the shortest and most concise definition for Trinity is simply this, the three in one. The three in one, okay, what does that mean, three in one? Well, let's start with the one. When our main character, God, is described as one, it doesn't refer to kind of the numerical digit one, as in like a giant foam finger at a football game, God's number one, God's number one. No, no, this means God is the only one, that he's unique and, and he's once for all. 
And maybe the best description would be like a king, because there can only be one king, and that one king is unique, and he's one for all, the only one. So the story starts with a king. But this God king that is described in three ways is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, early church leaders described this trinity using the term perichoresis. All right, I'll say it again, perichoresis. Now, I want to break that down. Peri, the first part of that word, actually means circle, okay? Perichoresis, peri means circle. Choresis, and you may notice this, it sounds kind of like choreography. Choresis, it means to dance. That's how we describe the Trinity. They literally describe the Trinity as this eternal dance of love between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so in this dance, each member loves the other. In John 17, it uses the word glorifies. And so it's in this dance, the Father glorifies the Son, the Son glorifies the Spirit, the Spirit glorifies the Father. And to glorify means to enjoy the other or to praise the other or direct attention to the other. In other words, it's love. It's like this dance of each one loving the other. Now, my wife, Sue, she says uh, that when I dance, we were, we were at a wedding this, this, this weekend, and I'm dancing. She says, when I dance, it looks like more like I'm in a boxing match. And you can see why with that, you know, white man's overbite. <laughs> Don't think about that, okay? Don't think about that kind of dancing. If you think about that kind of dancing, it will ruin your image of God and maybe more. Here's instead. Instead, imagine this. Imagine a beautiful dance of endless love where the Father the Son, the Holy Spirit, are drawing attention away from themselves towards the others. If you can see that, then you understand how the Trinity explains that God is love. So the story begins with a God king who is love, and then this God decides to create a global community in his image, a kingdom where this love and goodness can just flourish. And so God speaks and says, let there be light. And there was light, and it was good. And God says, let there be sky and ocean and land. And there was sky and ocean and land, and it was good. And God said, let the oceans be full of fish and swimming creatures. Let the skies be full of birds and flying creatures. And it was good. And God said, let there be animals. Let there be wild animals. Let there be animals that crawl on their bellies. Let there be small dogs whose owners dress them in little sweaters at Christmas time. And God said, now that's a little weird, but nonetheless, it is good. But then at the pinnacle of creation, God makes people, human beings. And he says, let us, let us make mankind in our own image. And so we are created as a reflection, an image of who he is. And so we too were created for this love. Now, another way to think about it, think about it this way. Love is the operating system of our world. Anything that's not loving is like a virus that threatens to destroy the world. And the world operates like God designed for it to when we are loving. And when we don't love and we're not loving, destruction, disease, disaster breaks out. 
And so the most astounding reality at the beginning of this story of a king and his kingdom community is that God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit wants to include us human beings in this community kingdom that operates on love. And so the Father wants to love you the way he loves the Son and the Spirit. The Son wants to love you the way he loves the Father and the Spirit. And the Spirit wants to love you the way he loves the Father and the Son. Theologian Daryl Johnson put it this way. It's so smart. He said, I, he talks autobiographically, I was brought into being. And then he talks about you. And you were brought into being by the Trinity to be a co-lover within the Trinity. We were made to be loved by God and to love both God and others. And I'll tell you what, if you get that, that has profound implications for what it means to be a person, and even more so for what it means to be a Christian or a Christ follower. Because when we get that, it means never again will I relate to God like some cosmic cop who's out to catch me breaking the law. Gotcha. No. But neither will I think of God as merely a jolly grandfather who just smiles at whatever we do and doesn't really care. And he's so much more than a genie in a bottle who simply just is there to grant us wishes when we pray. See, the God in this story is a king. He created a kingdom community just for you and for me, a place to be loved by him, to love him back, and to love others. And he invites us, all of us, into his story to take our place in kind of this Trinitarian dance of love. I'll tell you, here's what I want. I want you to let the truth of these words from brilliant thought leader Dallas Willard sink into your soul. Here's what he said. He said, the aim of God in history, and I want you to think of it this way, his story, God's story. The aim of God in his story is the creation of an inclusive community of loving persons with himself included as the primary sustainer and most glorious inhabitant. And so all throughout this series, we're gonna invite you to take your place in his story. It is his story to find your way back to God, a God who is love and who longs for you to be a part of this kingdom community. And it's what, it's exactly the thing you were made for. It's the reason you were created to be a part of that dance, to love, but also to be loved. Now, anybody who knows me knows uh, I'm a huge fan of the late Brennan Manning. Uh, Brennan Manning, was just a remarkable figure. He was a Catholic priest, a recovering alcoholic. And then as a writer and a speaker, went around the country leading these spiritual retreats. Uh, he did a retreat for leaders here at Community several years ago. I remember one particular exercise that he had us do where he sent us off by ourselves to journal about what we were experiencing with God. And then we'd regather and actually share our experiences. Well, he told a story about a retreat one summer in Iowa where he led the same kind of exercise. And there was a woman there, I I believe he called her Christine, I think that was her name, who was a nun. So he sent them off and when they came back together and it was time for Christine to share and he asked Christine to share, she said, "Um, I got nothing. I didn't hear anything. In fact, I'm not really even feeling anything. I must be doing something wrong. And Manning said, no, 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 it's, it's okay. I think it's just different for you. It'll come. But as they went through the weekend, 
Each time when it was Christine's turn to share, she would say, I got nothing. I got nothing. Then on the last day, everybody went off to journal and came back like they always did. But when it was Christine's turn to share, this time she said, uh, I don't know exactly how to explain it. It was more like a dream. I, I was asking God just to show me and help me understand what I'm missing. And suddenly it was like I was transported into this huge dance hall, like a ballroom. And everybody was dressed so elegantly. And they were all dancing. All around me, everyone was dancing. Beautiful dances, perfectly. Nobody missing a single step. And I went over and stood against the wall for what seemed like a very long time all by myself. She continued, she said, and then this gentleman came up to me. He was wearing the striking black tux with a red flower. And he came up to me and said, can we dance? I said, I'm, I'm not a very good dancer. He said, it's okay, I'll lead. And then he took me out to the dance floor and we began to dance. And we spun and we dipped and it, it was amazing. And as we danced, everyone else just formed a big circle, a big circle around us. And when the song ended, everyone applauded. And the man looked at me and he said, thank you for that dance. And she said, and as he looked at me suddenly, I just knew he was Jesus. And he said, let me tell you one more thing. And he bit down and whispered in my ear, Christine, I'm wild about you. She said, I know it sounds odd, but it's true. He said to me, I'm wild about you. And I don't think I'll ever be the same again. Once upon a time, a God who is love created a community. A king created a kingdom. And that kingdom community is designed to operate on love. And he brings us near, like right now, to simply remind every one of us, I'm wild about you. He's saying that right now to you. I'm wild about you.